0: back how that presented in adulthood to to show you how you connect the dots is not only in my marriage, but in friendships is I started chasing other people's validation and acceptance. I outsourced my self-esteem. So I needed you as my friend to let me know that I was good. I needed my romantic partner to to be, to be be fill a fantasy and be my Popeye and rescue me, right? So I can look back and I can see the patterns of why I attracted people the way that I've attracted them. And this is why we also need to understand our core wounds. We each have a core wounds. It could be rejection. It could be abandonment. It could be not good enough. It can come from abuse issues. But if we don't understand it, it will continue to show up in our life.
1: Well, hey, hey, everybody, this is Dana Shea, and you are listening to Real Relationship Talk. Today, we are on episode 39, and we have the privilege of having with us psychotherapist Janie Lacey. Now, Janie is a relationship trauma expert, and she's actually going to be talking to us today, you guys, about becoming self-aware and avoiding toxic relationships. I think it's so interesting that we've got these buzzwords kind of in our society right now, like self-awareness and toxic. Toxicity and narcissism and gaslighting and all of these kind of psychobabble terms that people just throw around. But Janie's actually here. She's going to deliver all the goods on exactly what we need to know about taking responsibility and ownership for our own healing and relationships. And then also, like I said, how do you know if you're in a toxic relationship and what you can do to address some of those childhood issues that just keep on showing up in our relationships. So I'm super excited to bring to you guys this conversation. Be sure if you're not already subscribed to the podcast that you subscribe or follow, depending on where you are listening to this. Go ahead and do that right now so that when I release new episodes on Tuesdays at 6 a.m., they will show up automatically for you just like magic. So without any further ado, let's go ahead and get into our conversation today with the absolutely gorgeous and wise Janie Lacey. All right, Janie. Well, it is such a privilege for me to have you on this episode. I love just your your depth of caliber and just all the experience, the wealth of knowledge that you have. Um, as a psychotherapist, I know that you are Obviously, well versed with talking about trauma and toxic relationships, and we're going to talk about all of that stuff um, on this episode today. So, for those who might not be familiar with you, why don't you just tell us a little bit about maybe why you got into psychotherapy? Sure. Well, psychotherapy is what I like to say was
0: a was a God-led mission. If it was for me, I probably would not have um, chosen the field. And what I mean by that is that my first career was in healthcare administration. And I was trying to learn how to communicate because I realized in a business that I needed to learn how to communicate, which then goes back to to my own personal story, being a four-year-old girl who had rotten teeth. Her father didn't speak good English. And I was entering this leadership program in my MBA program, and I was still talking, like covering my mouth, or I would just like not smile, like, you know, and I had the teeth that I have now, you know, I had nice teeth. And, but I still was carrying that four-year-old girl inside of me. And I could have crumbled in this moment, but it was a growth moment that I embrace. So the very first time we're all meeting in this NBA program, I had not yet even thought about becoming a, a therapist. I just wanted to learn how to communicate. So my story was birthed uh, from, from there, you know, focusing on being an MBA grad, communicating, getting exposed, and then my own belief systems around therapy. And then I decided there was a mentor that I had, Dr. Dykin. He's over um, the University of Central Florida's um, uh, healthcare program. So I went to him and I said, I was nervous because he was like a surrogate father figure. And I said, Dr. Dykin, I think I'm going to drop out of the MBA program and I'm thinking about applying to... Counseling, mental health, and I knew in my spirit that if he was like no, I probably would have went with it. But he said, "Janie, I don't know why I didn't think of that sooner." And that was why I made my decision. <laughs> you know, some some key key pivots. So the people who we allow to speak in our life—that's right—to answering the calling when God gives us clues to who we should be. That when we respond to them. You know, so I, that's why I say it wasn't necessarily me that decided this, but it was me responding to God's calling on my life. And I can, can clearly see it now, you know, looking back 15
1: years now that um, I'm exactly where he wants me. Oh, thank you so much for sharing that story with us and just your journey. You said so much in that story that I really want to kind of poke into a little bit. Um, The first thing that you said that I think is so key that so many people just overlook, you said you had to learn to communicate. And a lot of the things like in the work that I do as a relationship coach, I'm helping people to learn how to communicate well because in relationships, I often hear people say, you know, we broke up because we don't communicate. And I'm always like, everybody communicates. You just don't communicate well. And so learning to communicate is just that. It's a process. Because I think the second point that you kind of brought up um, is your childhood wounds. And I think the way that we see a lot of times our our families of origin, our parents or mentors, people when we're very um, impressionable as kids, the way that they communicate will tend to be how we communicate. And so Can you speak a little bit more into that, Janie, as far as the childhood wounds piece? You know, for example, I have a friend of mine who says, I don't know if this is a real quote or she made it up, but she says it all the time. And she says, there's no such thing as marriage problems. They're just childhood problems that manifest in marriage. And I just wanted to know, like, what is your take on that? And for people who are not aware of those childhood wounds that they're still walking around with, how can they become aware of that? And then, of course, how can they then work to fix those?
0: So answer the first part of that, because most of us have not been aware of it. Most of us don't come out of our childhood and be like, oh, yeah, these are my problems. <laughs> but it usually manifests or usually presents itself in our patterns of life, not a problem of life, but a pattern of life. So if someone, for example, has the same feedback from friends or from romantic partners, at some t- point in time, there has to be curiosity And to kind of think about if we eliminate who the person is, right, because sometimes people get caught up, well, this person is that and, and we dismiss any feedback that we've gotten from them. But if we look at and just be considerate of any feedback we've gotten, we'll normally hear a pattern of that. And then if we take a a deeper dive, that pattern can usually lead to something that was unfinished or unfulfilled in our childhood or developed in our childhood. For example, I believe we all need to have, so I have a psych D and I believe we all need to have a psych D, PhD, whatever in our own history. And what I mean by that is I now know exactly what my childhood wound is and how it developed. And I'll share it for an example so people can relate to it. So my childhood wound is is not good enough. Mm -hmm. and a couple things as to why that originated. If we take it out of feeling like we're blaming our childhood and our parents, no. We're looking at our experiences, our messages, the things that download, just like we're using computers right now. So everything that got downloaded into that computer, if we get a virus, it's not going to act right, right? So we got to go back to the source and reset it. So we kind of think of ourselves that way. So growing up with a mom who. Had her own challenges, but she married my dad, who was an, an alcoholic. He had addiction issues, so he didn't speak well. Never, he since deceased, never told any of his daughters, he had eight of us, that he loved us. Right. So as a little girl, having that message, I was always trying to, and I was having an older sister who was right above me who was rebellious, another little sister who looked just like my dad. And here I was, like I almost operate like a typical middle child wanted to be the peacekeeper, never wanted to rock the boat. But what I start, what I realized when I connect the dots back, I can remember all the way back to eight years old, actually eight, nine years old, my son's age, is that I started performing and auditioning, trying to get my father's attention, his love, his validation. I literally remember waking up each morning like, well, today I'm going to be perfect, right? In my little head. And I would like start, well, right now I'm going to be perfect. And I would do like, try to be perfect, so to speak. And in that moment, No one knows that as a little girl, right? We just know at the level that we're at. I knew that the level that I was at, when I started getting out and about and seeing other people's families and systems, then I realized there's something not right with my family. Mm. So when I look back, how that presented in adulthood to to show you how you connect the dots is not only in my marriage, but in friendships is I started chasing other people's validation and acceptance. I outsourced my self-esteem. So I needed you as my friend to let me know that I was good. I needed my romantic partner to to be, to be be fill a fantasy and be my Popeye and rescue me, right? So I can look back and I can see the patterns of why I attracted people the way that I've attracted them. And this is why we also need to understand our core wounds. We each have a core wounds. It could be rejection. It could be abandonment. It could be not good enough. It can come from abuse issues. But if we don't understand it, it will continue to show up in our life. So for example, with friendships in particular, so if I would meet some, a business owner, been an entrepreneur and a small business owner for 15 years. So if I would meet other women that I would vibe with, or I thought was cool, I would like throw out betting or earn trust out the window. Clearly I could look back at it now because in my mind, I would be looking for the Cobra ready to strike. But it was the pythons right in my circle that were squeezing me, that were stabbing me in the back. And the reason why I didn't have discernment is because from my childhood, I was used to the very close people to me were the very persons that were harming me. Right. Mm. So, and a lot of times we don't make those connections as to why, well, why did I not see this coming? It's so in your face. It's because it's familiar. Mm. And if we don't know what our wounds are, we'll continue attracting those same familiar things and we'll still chase fantasies. We'll chase people to, be my dad, right? So looked looked at my my relationship when I got married very young. I he didn't drink. I didn't see him doing drugs, but I still married my father, mm. <laughs> and it had less to do with him, but more to do with me, right? So it's not about about anyone in my life. It's the lessons that I've learned because they brought me to a place of healing. So if we don't. Get into a place where we do the work. Well, We're eventually going to deal with it, and most people deal with it because they're in a trauma state. They're getting a divorce. They're finding out that you know they're they're not living a, a miracle mentality life. You know, the term comes to mind because I interviewed Tim Story, who's Oprah Winfrey's life coach, a few weeks ago. And um, you know, so when we think about how we used to dream in those things as a young girl, we had a calling very early on. And many times, people block their own callings because of that. We don't do the work. We show up, we become frauds, we become fruit pickers. It's real easy to say, well, let me see what Dana's doing because I don't have an identity. So I'm going to start picking her fruit. And then I start trying to spread to the race. And there's so many people like that, but the people who do the work know who they are. They run their race. They, life is a marathon. They're going out, to outrun anyone that has not done, done the work. And we can see this more times than not, especially with social media. We can curate our lies, but we can also hide our lies because we can curate our lives. So anyway, then I can go on and on but, about that, but the most important thing I would want to share with your audience around that is that we have to do the work. We want to understand where we've been so that we can unblock where we want to go and then we also can understand why we attract certain people. I attract a lot of people that were users and abusers because I was a giver. I was a giver not necessarily and I still am, but I was a giver from a place of my wound. Because as long as I give, 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 then people would like me because that's performing and auditioning and earning people's love. Right. Versus understanding that I'm already worthy. And then that would attract people who would eventually continue to to harm me. But what I have learned is that when you have self-love, you have boundaries and people can't stab you in the back when they don't have access to you. One of the
1: things that I really hope people heard is when you said you were kind of looking for like the cobra out there, but it was really the pythons in your inner circle. And then you talked about how we become so familiar with abuse or we've become familiar with being treated as we're nothing. I was on YouTube. um, There was someone who had commented on a video that I had done years ago on YouTube. And this girl said, everybody around me devalues me and they make me feel like I'm nothing. And what you just said about paying attention to people who you attract, I think that's so important because I'm I'm thinking about the person who might be listening to this. And we all know that we all have issues, right? We all have core wounds. Um, Even if we've done our work and we're on a journey of healing, there's always work, I believe, you know, that God is uncovering and that he's wanting to reveal himself to us in these different areas. So what is like the first step? If someone, you said that we need to all have a, a PsyD or a PhD in our own lives, which I love that. How do people get that? Like, how do people understand really like who they are and, and really get in touch with like these wounds? Is it, is it as simple as just looking at who's in your life and the kind of people that you attract into your life? Or what are some practical things that people can do to really start to unpack that a little bit?
0: Absolutely. I can say a lot there, but I'll make it really simple because we can only see on the level that we're at, right? And there was a story or book that I heard, I believe it was T.D. Jakes. Um, yes, it was from Soar. And he talked about the giraffe that keeps arguing with the turtle, right, in the safari. And that giraffe keeps arguing with the turtle because the giraffe sees the horizon. The giraffe sees what's to come, but the turtle can only see what's right in front of him or right in front of her. And you know, a part of that. And I bring up that example for a reason because sometimes people can't see what they don't know, and they can't see what they can't see. So the way that we have, when I look at how we do the first step, there's going to be two parts to that. The first part is most people live a mundane life. That means we just do the same thing over and over and over again. So when I was working a nine to five, it was nine to five, come home, cook, get ready for the next day over and over and over and over again, a purposeless life because society told me that that's what I need to do. I need to go to college and work nine to five. So you are, you're in this cycle. So there's nothing really traumatic happening. So there's no reason for me to do the work, so to speak. But with that type of person, it's usually because it's like groundhog day. They're doing the same thing over and over and over again, but yet they feel like there's something missing. So when I was in that state, it was because I was trying to, Keep myself in a state of not feeling any pain, not feeling, not letting a lot of people in was a very isolated life. But what you also do is you also block out the joy. You also block out the happiness, the abundance. But what you can also do in that state is you can look at how do I feel when no one else is around? Do I feel empty? Do I feel not good enough? Do I feel unseen? Those can be clues into your own voice, into what you say about yourself. There's a study out of the University of Cambridge, I believe. 69% of all of our emotions are negative, which Mm -hmm. is why the Bible says we have to take every captive, we have to take every thought captive. We have to renew our mind. But the other part of that, the biggest part, which this part will lead to this part, because we cannot do two, three, and four until we get to this part, is the self awareness piece. So I had to be aware. And take my eyes off of all the people who hurt me, who stabbed me in the back and realize, okay, Janie, you're the common denominator, right? You are the common denominator. No no matter if it's five years ago or it's five years in the future, it's still you. So what is it about you that you are allowing, accepting, and accommodating, regardless of who it is? Mm -hmm. What is it about you? That feels like, okay, I need to earn audition. I need to, to always have a pony in someone else's story after coming. And... So when I looked at my self-awareness piece, it's painful. And Dana, I think a, a lot of people, we don't want to do the work because that means we have to take responsibility for our own toxic ways, our own toxic thinking. Mm-hmm. And then we also feel the weight of, I remember the first time where I felt really felt clarity in my life. It was painful because I had to look back and think, well, I had a part to play. I had a part to play to think about even the people who stabbed me in the back, the, the people who did me wrong or whatever. I had a part to play in that. And I think a lot of people, it's hard for us to look at the speck in our own eye, right? The Bible calls look at the speck in our own eye. It's, it's difficult. We hear that all the time because it's real easy to give advice and it's real easy to, you know, say that he did this or she did this. But it's not easy to say, well, you know what? I probably was a little manipulative in that situation. I probably was passive aggressive because I learned that from my early age, I couldn't go to my parents and have direct and honest conversations. So I learned a coping mechanism, surviving mechanisms as a little girl. And I carried that into my womanhood Mm -hmm. that I couldn't really tell you what I thought, but I was really thinking it. Or Mm -hmm. I would tell you, yeah, yeah, Dana, I'll do that. But I would still go do what I want. That's dysfunctional, passive aggressive, right? That's that's lying and hiding because I'm not being honest with who I who I am. So when we get to that self awareness piece, it's painful, but it's also when we get we my, a lot of people what I'll see, especially in my business consultations, a lot of people want to get to the mountaintop, but they don't realize in order to get to the mountaintop, that's celebration. But in order to get to the celebration, we got to walk through the valley. That's, that's in the right. mud, right? We got to walk through the weeds. We got to do all that stuff. Right. And that's doing the work is first is creating self-awareness. And when it comes to healing works, a lot of people ask me, what does healing work look like? Right. So I like to break it up into three pillars. The first part of that, that pillar is the mindset is we are so reactive every single day. So how can I change if I'm just in a, and I'm just waiting for the shoe to drop. I'm waiting for, I'm, I'm, I'm constantly acting as if, if I can't trust anyone, I have to learn to respond to life and not react to life. And I can't do that until I look at my mindset to the six inches between my ears, right? Because that's the most powerful weapon that God has given us is our brain. Mm-hmm. So once we do that mindset work, then we can move into the inner child work. And the inner child work is looking at our patterns, our messaging, our abuse, how we've had survival mechanisms, because even if we were victims, and this is hard for a lot of women, especially to hear, is even if you were a victim, you still learned your dysfunctional ways to cope, right? We have survival mechanisms. So if I had a dad who I did, who was not um, emotionally regulated, he was an emotionally immature parent, he was, had narcissistic ways because of his addiction, I had to learn how to get his attention right? So to learn how to be manipulative, I had to learn how to be, you know, how to move a certain way. And you don't leave that in your childhood, you bring that right into your marriage, Right. right into your friendships. And then the third part of that is body work. You know, we just don't do healing work in our head. And in our heart, we also have to we the body keeps the score. So I did some training with, um, there's a, his name is Dr. Vander So he wrote a book called the body keeps the score. So we keep trauma in our body, right? So when you think about when you get upset, Dana, if you and your husband are arguing, you're going to feel it somewhere first in your body, you know, even if it's your heart rate your stomach, you know? So we have, it's kind of like our nervous system It's called polyvagal therapy. Our body can take us hostage because we can go into fight or flight mode. Because sometimes when I think about my own toxic patterns, I joke about it, but there's a lot of truth to that. Is that in my marriage, you know, I would respond to things that were not healthy by tearing out, I become Godzilla, tearing down curtains and screaming and yelling and just being toxic myself. But when I look back, I would next day I'd be like, man, why did I say that? Why did I do that? right? Because when you have, when you don't understand how your trauma is kept in your body, a lot of people start reacting. And then if they ever said, if your husband ever says, Dana, well, when you were mad at me, you said such well, I don't remember saying that. That's because you went into fight mode and your brain, everything just gets lit. And a lot of people, when we don't understand that, we try to control something that we have no knowledge of. And that's what keeps us in our pattern. So we have to become self-aware. We have to do the work and doing the work is taking our eyes off everyone else. We have to move from a victim to a victor. And a part of that is empowering ourselves, And then the other part that you'd mentioned or, or recapped is then we start changing our crew, mm-hmm. right? Not everyone has a front seat to our life. Some people got to be in the balcony. Some people got to be outside the door at the bouncer, right? So we have to reprogram. And sometimes the hardest part of that, and that's even was true for me. Sometimes that's our people and our family. Mm -hmm. But yeah, sister, you know, we can't even maybe have the same conversations with our mom, right? Because when you become healthy, you cannot unsee what you now know, but that means you also make hard decisions. And a lot of people, when I look at people who are successful in the healing work and people who are not, it's because of people who are successful in the healing work, they do the hard work and the hard work means you also piss people off. Mm -hmm. You also, you know, people say, Dana, what's wrong with you now? You used to be this cool woman Well, you see, do And, and Dana's like, you know. I'm growing and some things have changed for me and I'm sorry it doesn't work for you. And Dana's okay with that.
1: Hey, everybody, Dana Shea popping in real quick to ask you, do you have your copy of my free ebook, The Five Relationship Mistakes That Are Wrecking Your Life? Listen, friend, if you don't already have your copy, I want you to head over to relationshipmistakes.co. That's relationshipmistakes.co and snag your copy. You guys have heard it said that we don't know what we don't know. And here's the truth. There are so many people who are making these five common but critical mistakes and their relationships. I see it all the time with the couples that I coach. And so I want to help you to be able to avoid these relationship mistakes. And all you have to do is just download the free ebook. So again, head on over to relationshipmistakes.co. That's relationshipmistakes.co. I'll see you on the inside. Now back to our show. Oh my goodness, Janie, thank you so much. You know, I think one of the things that you are really hitting home, it's being self-aware. It's this whole self-awareness. And, you know, this, this podcast is called Real Relationship Talk. And a lot of times people ask like, what do you mean by real relationship? And I think the first relationship that you have to be real with is a relationship that you have with yourself. And I know, you know, I've been married for 22 years. The first part of my marriage was horrendous, you know, um, and not just because we were young, but because we were young and we didn't know ourselves. I did not know that the trauma that I had endured from childhood, just like you said, it doesn't just go away. There's not like a magic button just because you turn 18. It just kind of all goes away. It's still there. And so I was processing a lot of pent up anger, frustration, being victimized. All of that stuff was still there. And so my husband was the lucky recipient of all of that, you know, that got to come out. And likewise, he had some junk, you know, from his childhood that he was processing abandonment and rejection and all of that stuff. And it was just a, a mess. It was a recipe for disaster. And so when I'm talking to couples, I'm not a psychotherapist. So I you know, I always tell people the difference between coaching and counseling, I'm not going to dig too deep into your childhood trauma. You do need a, a psychotherapist for that. But I think people sometimes will um, invalidate What we go through as children or maybe even in past relationships, you know, and this is why when I'm talking to my single folks, I'm like, do not jump from one relationship to the next, to the next, to the next, because there's baggage, there's hurts, there's wounds, there's limiting beliefs, which we'll talk about in a little bit. All of that stuff has to be broken and it has to be healed before you can actually be whole in another relationship. One thing that you said, Janie, you were talking about the kind of the mindset, the inner child work, and then the body work. And I know that you did a recent podcast episode with Dr. Caroline Leaf as well, and you guys were talking about holding trauma in the body. One of the things that I'm really curious about, because I'm a pastor at my church, I do a lot of, you know, ministry stuff. I find that sometimes, not all, but many Christians want to bypass the body work. It's all spirit you know, it's all like, okay, well, I'm having this problem. So we're just going to pray about it. And we're going to just let God fix it. And they're not paying attention to like what's happening in their body. And our church right now is actually doing a series on mental health. And one of the things that we're talking about is learning how to hear that Stephen Furtick wrote a book called Crash to Chatterbox. And it's like learning how to hear that chatter, that incessant chatter that's constantly going through our mind, but also like paying attention to your body. I know when I get really angry, like I'll feel, you can feel it. Your body will tense up. You know, some people will start crying. I get my hands will start shaking. So being self-aware is also being body aware and and learning those cues and then learning how to like bring, talk yourself down the ledge. You know, it doesn't mean that I don't still deal with whatever the problem is, but we can't really deal with the problem when we're like at a ten. And so, I want to know you were talking about toxic relationships, and that's a, a topic that comes up quite often. people I feel like we have all these buzzwords now everyone's a narcissist, everyone gaslights, you know, and i'm like okay let's let's actually define these words, people, you know <laughs> so tell us, Janie, how would someone know? that they're in a toxic relationship. Maybe someone's married, they've been married for 15 years and they're just like, this is just kind of how my spouse is. They're kind of, you know, moody. How would they know if someone is just being moody versus no, you are actually living in a toxic relationship right now?
0: Oh so a couple of things but first I want to go back to your other point. You know one of the things that I that I say because I do speak a lot in the Christian churches mm-hmm. is that if our body didn't matter god would not have put our spirit in our body for one. Mm-hmm. And very- secondly, if i get hit by a car and i'm broke my leg is broken i'm not going to sit there and and pray about it. I'm going to call the physicians, right. the people who studied how to repair my leg. But when it comes to our mind and when it comes to our emotions, a lot of people to your point will spiritual, spiritualize everything, but they're also stuck in life. Mm-hmm. And what that, ha- what that goes to is, um, a comment that you've made earlier about a limited belief system is that that also goes to a place where we don't live a place of abundance. We live in a place of fear. Mm -hmm. And when I look at my own spiritual walk, when I looked at that God has an abundance for me, but when I had my limited mindset that he wasn't going to give those things to me, And when I look back, is when I started changing and started walking from a place of true faith and not from a place of fear and taking advantage of all of God's blessings. And sometimes those are coaches, sometimes those are physicians that take care of my body. I'm doing a 75 hard challenge right now, doing all these types of things so that the body and all the intellect, all the gifting that He's given me, that it is my temple and I take care of it. And that's where the abundance comes from. So many times, people of faith in particular, you know, they, they, they want to pray about it and they want to tithe and then God's going to give back to me. But you, sometimes you sabotage your own success that I know God, when I'm, when I'm reading his promises over my life, they're talking about my faith. They're talking about my abundance. They're talking about my blessings. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, as long as I know I have this life, I want all of that, but I cannot continue to do all of that. If I'm not going to be transparent, I'm not going to be truth. I'm going to have polarized thinking and polarized thinking is spiritualizing everything versus our spirit. You know, our emotions, our mental and our physical, and all of those things makes a powerful woman of God. And most importantly, our voice. And we use all of those things to be able to, we don't have to all be, to your point, none of us, you know, you and I will be lying and saying, if we arrive to our healing, uh-uh, right. we, we are on a journey, <laughs> but right. we have to be, this is the key. What I'll tell people, we have to be further enough away from the people we're coaching and counseling to be able to help them. That's right. right? And so that we can completely see clearly and we can hear clearly. So when people are in a toxic relationship in particular, if we're making, these are very practical. If we're making excuses for our husband, our partner, our wife's behavior, girlfriend, boyfriend, that's just the way that they are. Oh, he he's hungry. Oh, he he he. he that's just how he is. So if you find yourself having to make excuses for why someone is hurting you, that is a clue. The second clue is if you cannot be yourself with them, you feel like you're constantly Again, I use my words, performing and auditioning. They're criticizing you. There's something, and they'll usually, and this is key, Dana, they'll usually going to be inciting your core wound. So if I'm in a relationship and I'm constantly feeling my core wound is not good enough. So if someone mm-hmm. is constantly criticizing me and that I'm getting back to performing and auditioning mode, and now I'm back into my childhood state because now I'm walking on eggshells when I'm around them because I'm trying to be perfect. That's from my core, my wounds, for my core. So when they're coming into my life, they're going to, so, so marriage in particular, it's, you know, there's a therapy that we practice called Imago Therapy. It's in the image of. So that person's going to bring out, as you mentioned with you and your husband, you guys are going to, you guys brought out the worst traits of each other because there's an opportunity for healing. Mm. You're either going to implode or you're going to eventually get to the place and then you're going to get to the place where you're in out of growth, that you're, you're owning your story. He's owning his story. You're understanding how the two of you activate each other. But when people are in that place, making excuses, walking on eggshells, I can't be myself. I don't feel not good enough in this relationship. I don't feel like they can hear me. They're calling me names. They're yelling at me, right? So sometimes from our family of origin, I remember the first time I realized that I use my self example. The first time that I realized that me yelling and screaming and cursing at my husband was abuse. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: the
0: Reason why, you know, it may sound simple to people, but if you're used to, that's how you communicate. Right. Well, that's how we communicate. You know, my Puerto Rican side, right. We make excuses for how we are, which is a clue that's toxic versus, you know, cause then, what, then what some people will say, well, he's not hating you or he's not cheating on you. So then you lower your standard of what a healthy relationship should be. So if I kind of recap that, because I can probably go on and on about that, is that you can't be yourself. You know, you walk on eggshells and then you're, you're at a place where you're making excuses for them. And that's a big one. So if you have to make excuses for someone, and then the last part of it is if you feel lonely in a relationship and you can't talk to them, but you can talk to them about what you're making for dinner, but you can't talk to them about how you feel in the relationship, there's a clue that something is off balanced in that. So there's just some practical things we we can go a lot deeper um, if we had time. But those are some practical things.
1: Yeah, I feel like someone's listening, being like, uh, "Check, check, check, <laughs> check, check, check. Like, What do I do now?" And I know that I don't know. I don't remember if this was an episode that you did or where I heard you say this. But you were talking about. Um, Uh, like, avoid love avoidant people and people who basically cannot love well for whatever reason. And so I'm thinking about somebody who might be married and maybe they're like, okay, I'm in a toxic marriage. It's not just as simple as me being like, okay, this isn't going to work out. Let's just break up. But like, now there's ramifications. Do we divorce? Do I just sit and wait for this person to change? Is this person capable of changing? How do you advise women, especially I'm thinking about women who are involved in situations where maybe their husbands are toxic and there's not really um, a desire to change. Maybe they're not being quote unquote abused, but maybe it's just a situation like, and I don't want to say just, cause I don't want to minimize it, but maybe it's a situation where maybe the wife doesn't feel heard, or maybe like you said, he is inciting some of those core childhood wounds that she has. What can she do if he's not at a place where he's ready to make some changes?
0: I think a couple of things and I'm saying this as a professional. So the first thing I want to say is that I never tell anybody what decisions to make for their life because I'm not living with the consequences. That's so I never weird. tell a woman or a man to leave their relationship just because I'm divorced, right? Cause sometimes people will, will think that, right? Well, you will understand. No, I don't, <laughs> you know, from that standpoint because you have to make decisions for your life. So what I help people do is look at themselves. So if he is dot, 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 let's look at the reason why you accommodate accept and tolerate that. So let's look at what's going on with you. So the first order of business, and this is hard because it's it's a lot of people, it's easier to say he's doing this or he's doing this. He's constantly cheating on me, right? Because what happens is there's something that we look at called Cartman's triangle. When we're in dysfunctional relationships, we're constantly on this Cartman's triangle. You're either the victim you're the rescuer or you're the prosecutor. Mm-hmm. And there are people who are truly victims, but I'm, ta- I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about dysfunctional relationships. So the person, it's easy for them to be the victim. And I see it when I do couples therapy. Mm-hmm. They're like, they want me to fix her or want me to fix him versus being able to look in the mirror. So the, the thing that I would tell her first is to seek support and not friends because sometimes our friends can be our worst supporters in the sense that, well, girl, why are you you taking, why are you dealing with that? So when you seek support, sometimes professional support, sometimes it can come in church, it can come in coaching, is that these people can objectively look in your life and not necessarily give you an opinion, but to help you process and walk out something that you need to walk out so you can get to a place of making a healthy decision for yourself. But the hardest part, the first part of that, And um, for for anyone that's especially in coaching or counseling, we know that the most first part of that is to create a place of where you can hold space for them. You're allowing them to be and say whatever their experience is. So that has to happen because in in order for change to come, they have to be able to trust you. So I can't just immediately meet someone and say, well, girl, let's just look at your stuff. (laughs) It doesn't work (laughs) that way. They have to build a rapport and build a trust. But the second part of that is then let's understand how we've gotten here. And we understand how we've gotten here because this is what she can do. This is where I'm going at. She has to understand self-love and self-care, which are two different things. Because if she starts loving herself, she's gonna show up in that relationship very differently. And the very practical way that she's gonna show up in that relationship very difficulty is very differently, is by boundaries. Okay, so when you're talking to me that way, Bob, and you're cursing at me and you're calling me out of my name, it's just not going to work for me. So I'm not going to engage in a conversation with you as long as you're talking to me that way. And then she's going to walk away and she's literally going to follow through because she can't control his abuse. And that's where we that's where we eventually get to. You can't control anybody else except yourself. Mm -hmm. And the most important thing is, what am I going to allow, accept and accommodate But she cannot get there with the same thinking that got her there, which is why we have to get into that mindset. And then she'll eventually get to the place of, I mean, there's lots of steps in between, but self-love and self-care. She's going to take care of herself, build self-esteem, not outsource it, stop chasing for him to see me, validate me. He's going to appreciate me because that's the core wounds for most people because dad was not there or dad was there, but he wasn't there, which is the ghost of our past. That's why we have to understand that. But when she very practically and there's why there's why there's so many books written on this. But when she gets to a place of self-love, she can be like, well, I know I'm the queen. It's like a chessboard. Every all the pawns are trying to get to me and I'm not going to allow anyone to treat me like I'm not a queen because I see it all the time. Hashtag queen, hashtag this. But then when especially when, you know, people are not showing up in the world as true queens because a queen knows how to deal with her king and she's not going to let any clown entertain her. And sometimes if her king does turn into a clown. He's not going to let him entertain her, right? So once we understand our self-worth, we understand how we show up in the world and we don't give people what they give us. We're not reacting to him because he's being toxic. And now we're entering the toxic dance and reacting to him because when you get to, and this is a way that people can know. Cause a lot of people are like, well, oh, I'm healthy. I don't have those problems. Well let me see how you are when someone's toxic with you. How do you handle it? How do you respond to it? How do you get activated? Can you be self-regulated in the in the face of conflict, right? So when a lot of people want to walk the say that they're walking the walk but when it really comes to it's
1: hard work is the point there. It's hard work. It sure is. And not to be so cliche, but, you know, the, the whole um, adage, no pain, no gain. And I feel like, you know, so many people don't do the work because it is painful to have to uncover the truth about yourself, to have to dig back into those memories that many of us probably want to stay suppressed. But you really have to be able to do the work so that we can be whole and healthy. And I know that's your goal with the people that you work with. That's my goal with the people that I work with. I know that you've got an amazing podcast, Janie. And so I'll link to your your podcast called Let's Talk About It. That'll be linked in the show notes of this podcast. And um, if people want to connect with you, what's the best way that they can find you?
0: Absolutely. They can go to JanieLacy.com. So
1: it's L-A-C-Y. And on all the social media platforms, I'm Janie Lacey. Awesome. Well, we'll definitely link to your website uh, at the bottom of the show notes on this episode. So Janie, thank you so much. This has been value rich. I think that you have, you've given us a counseling session, um, but you've really helped us um, to really be able to focus in on just being self-aware and loving ourselves and understanding that we're all worthy of respect and love, and we're all worthy to have whole and healthy relationships. So thanks so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. It was an honor. Thanks so much, Janie, for everything that you blessed our listeners with today. I know that you guys found tremendous value out of what Janie shared. And hey, you got a free counseling session, so you are very welcome. Well, listen, like Janie said, you can find all of her social handles and everything that she's working on right now over on her website. And I, of course, will link to her website on the show notes of this podcast. So if you just head on over to realrelationshiptalk.com forward slash episode 39, you'll be able to find not only the show notes for what we discussed in this episode, but you'll also be able to find some other helpful resources. So as we wrap up today, you guys, I want to encourage you to A, be sure that you have subscribed to this podcast. B, be sure to go ahead and give it a rating or a review. I would certainly be most appreciative if you took the one minute that it's going to take you to write up a quick review on Apple Podcasts and let everybody know how much this podcast means to you. If this is your first time, maybe tell me what you thought about the show today. I love hearing back from all of you. And speaking of hearing back from all of you, be sure that you are following me on social media. I will have all of my social links located, guess where? In the show notes of the podcast, realrelationshiptalk.com forward slash episode 39. Well, that wraps it up for our conversation today. I have loved spending this time with you. And hey, if you're not receiving my weekly emails, you are really missing out, friend. I actually am on a really cool email series right now with my email list. And so if you want to get in on that, all you have to do is go to realrelationshiptalk.com and you can actually subscribe right there on the homepage of the website. Just scroll all the way down to the footer. Enter your name and email, and your emails will be on their way. So thanks so much, guys, for being with us today. I look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Have a great day, and take care.